and welcome to mini episode 54 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? Before we start with our stories this week, I've got two things that I need to tell you. First of all, thank you to everybody who has donated to Ulemu already. We are we are blown away. I'm giving you big hand hearts. You can't see it, but they're there. They are definitely there. I can see them. I hope you can feel them in your energy, in your vibes, in your aura. If you haven't donated already and you, and you think you would like to donate, just make sure you include RLGS in your name so that we know it's you because it is a public GoFundMe. It's not a private one that we've set up. The link to donate is in the description. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, we're doing a charity drive for Ulemu, which is a charity in Malawi. All of the information about it was on our previous episode at the beginning. And if you donate, you have a chance to win one of 10 pieces of merch of your choice. And if you don't have any money at the moment, that's cool. Just have a little read, see what they're doing and share it around would be just as much appreciated. I've got six stories for you today. Oh, man. I know. Sorry, babe. <laughs> so many scares. I've got six stories. And the last story that we read today was submitted on the 29th of April, 2020. Just to give people an idea of where we're at. I know, I know. It's horrendous, isn't it? There was a point where we caught up, right? I I, I don't know. I don't we know when closer. that was. Yeah, we're gonna have to do another thirty days at some point, are we? Yeah, we are. <laughs> oh, it's no. gonna have to happen. <laughs> and story number one comes from Avari. I wanted to give you an account of my mother. What a woman she was. Really, something. Probably the most accident-prone person I've ever met. Deeply warm-hearted and innocent, and, for a nurse, hugely capable of nearly killing everyone around her by blowing things up, by attempting to fix them, putting weird things in food by accident, or making chlorine gas while cleaning, inadvertently. There was something else, though, that was very odd about her, like that's not enough. She seemed to be a magnet for unexplained phenomenon, in particular ghosts. I'm going to give you some examples. I think my sisters probably have more as I'm the youngest by quite a way and a lot of things happened before I was around too. These are at times anecdotal but my mother was entirely incapable of lying. She just didn't have it in her. And besides, it's too weird for that. The first experience she had as far as I know was when she just got married. The house was a new build so they were the first ever occupants. She used to wake up at night and the room would be freezing cold, icy. She'd hear a strange, discordant whistling from beside the bed, like somebody whistling through their teeth, was how she described it. And this went on for months. My father, who was a real antagonistic kind of guy, would mock her. She said eventually, all of a sudden, he stopped, because she reckoned he was awake one night when it happened. My mother had a half-sister, who was a bit fey and she would read cards and all sorts. She would go to spiritualists and mediums. She took my mum when my mum told her about this. Apparently the woman said, You've something to tell me, haven't you? And a story spilled out of my mum that she had completely forgotten about. When they were little, in her tiny village, there was nothing to do. My mum and her friends made a grave from stones at the side of the road for a motorbike rider who had come off his bike and died. The spiritualist told my mum she had bound the spirit to earth and he was trying to tell her. They had a ceremony and it all stopped. She went to another medium. 
and told us that she was going to try and make him look at her by thinking it. And apparently he spun around, pointed to her and told her that she didn't have the gift. Then he put his hands on his knees and laughed and said a phrase. Just like her dead father would. She said that in that moment it was like he became her father. We think though that going to these mediums and messing with Ouija boards, something she would also do with the neighbours, brought things into our brand new house. Okay, we lived next to a graveyard, but it wasn't that, at least I don't think so. My grandmother died when I was four. She loved me, but didn't like my brothers and sisters, and was a mean, bad-tempered woman. She also hated my father, who was Irish Catholic. My mum was brought up wee free, so this infuriated my grandmother, who would do spiteful, angry things all of the time. After she died, the Catholic pictures in the house began to fly off the walls. Eventually, we had to take them down. Then my sister bought a big country house. There was a room called the Catholic Room, as a former tenant had become a nun and that was her bedroom. One Christmas, my mum was sleeping in there on a cot bed. A huge Catholic picture, which had been on the wall forever with a large glass frame, fell off the wall onto her bed, smashing everywhere. This thing was massive, three to four foot long. It was the way it fell though. It was like it had been levitated and then dropped. It was an impossible angle, landing square on right on her bed, which was a good three foot away from the wall. It just made no sense. When my mum got dementia, we went up to our family home where we grew up and witnessed the flying pictures coming off the walls and my sister and I got snowed in. We were talking about it, our childhood, and a picture on the windowsill on the other side of the room flew off the sill and onto the floor. I couldn't wait to get back to London, I don't mind telling you. In any case, I didn't sleep well in my childhood bedroom, and I'll tell you why at the end of recounting my mum's tale. So this is where it goes from a bit scary to very scary. My mother was a nurse, 50 years in total. She began at 15 and retired at 65. Laterally, she worked in maternity. The maternity unit, as far as I know, was in a series of wards, but also standalone huts or units. Things began to happen when she was at work. She was a night nurse for years. Episodes began to scare the women. So she told me that one morning when she got home, a woman had gone into labour because she'd seen a man at the end of her bed who disappeared. Something a lot of the pregnant women were experiencing. You can imagine how upsetting it was for them. Then it escalated. This one night, it was bedlam. They had to get the police out as they could hear footsteps running on the roof, but there was no one there. They would be walking down the corridors together, her and a colleague, and suddenly the whole corridor would be icy cold, but only from the knee down. She was making the beds one night and the bedside lockers started loudly banging. From the inside. At that point, she told whatever it was, she wasn't afraid, and it stopped. I don't recall how they finally made it stop at the maternity unit, and I don't know if it happened when my mum wasn't working. I bet it was only when she was there, but I assume they did eventually. I only know the night staff were plagued by unexplained phenomena for a while. I was quite little when all of this was going on, but she still told me things all the time. So I think we're all a bit sensitive in my family, some more than others. I had a few things happen. I lived in an almost constant state of fear in that house, even though it was small so everyone was close by. 
and maybe it was hysterics, who knows. I remember being very small. I had a beautiful blue toy telephone. It was in the days of dials and not buttons. My sisters were sharing my room. My older sister had come home for a visit, and her and my elder sister were talking. I was looking at my toy phone. Oh, how I wanted to play with it. They had put it up high to stop me going near it as I had presumably been driving them mad with it. And I just longed for it. And then the dial went all the way up, all by itself. And it dialed. There was a silence. One of my sisters said, Did you see that? The other one said, No. As in, yes, but am I fuck going over there? And that was the end of the conversation. Things like that happened periodically to me over the years. Sometimes helpful things, like I'd want to turn my music off but I was sleepy and the cassette deck was on the other side of the room and the stop button would press. Sometimes not so nice. I'd be scared anyway and my bedroom door handle would depress and the door would fly open. You just never knew. Being back there when we put my mum in care it was clear whatever was there was still there. Whether it's us or whether it was just her, we don't know. I deny that part of myself. I'm not interested. It's clear that my sisters have gifts. My elder sister is a genuine, clear, clairvoyant of some sort. I've seen it in action. But a more rational, less interested person you'll never meet. Okay, so I've got quite a lot to say about this story. Not like, you know, just normal freaky stuff. But I need to start... A lot I need to say about this story, okay? <laughs> it definitely wasn't in that tone. <laughs> um, but I need to start by saying I am almost 100% certain that my mother also created a chlorine gas cloud at some point in our childhood by overuse of bleach and other things. I've done it together. before too. Yeah. Yeah. Does it yeah. freak you out that you married your mother? Yeah, the little yeah, bit. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> it's easy done though if you mix bleach and other things that you shouldn't yep. mix. Yeah, so I'm I'm feeling your pain there, Vari. I'm pretty sure the same thing happened to me, probably on more than one occasion, actually, growing up, knowing how much <laughs> how, my mum likes bleach. How did you survive? I Yeah, well, <laughs> you question, question certain things about my uh, mentality. It's probably from inhalation of excessive amounts of chlorine. Also, I felt a little bit sorry for Vari and her friends because they seem to be like the little grave they built on the side of the road for an actual victim of something is actually quite a sweet thing to do. Oh, what a lovely thing to do, and really, to be, though. Yeah, exactly. And then to be told, oh, you trapped him on this earth now. Uh, you did that really nice thing and he's haunting the shit out of you. <laughs> yeah. That's what's happening right now. Yeah, I just feel, I feel like it's like there are plenty of other things that you could have been doing by the side of the road that would have got you in a lot more trouble. I feel like this is actually quite a sweet thing to be doing. Yeah, and then you're stuck with a man whistling beside your bed every night for the rest of your life. Moral of the story, don't ever do nice things for dead people. Yeah, I, mean, I don't feel like I feel like the scales of justice aren't balanced very well there. Um, I also got great amusement from the angered mother-in-law as well. <laughs> she's great. She's, she's what I aspire to be. I 100%, 100% agree that that is the mother-in-law haunting the crap, getting rid of all the religious pictures, not having any of that. Sorry. Boom. Yeah. It's that last defiant act, isn't it? Can you can you imagine having that much anger in you that you come back from beyond the grave to be like, you married a Catholic, did you? Well, we'll see about that in the afterlife. <laughs> I think the thing that gave me the most to jibbers in this story was the story about the mother in the hospital 
and all that stuff that was going on there, like the guy standing in the maternity ward, the banging from the inside of the lockers, calling the police because somebody's running on the roof. The roof, oh, yeah, the no. roof steps. That's it. Like I was when 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 Vari first started with the story, I was like, okay, so it's probably maybe it's just the next delivery doctor just knocking about carrying on doing the job, like being a like not intending to scare, but being there for birth. Like that's that's, that's what he did in life. So yeah, but I don't know. <laughs> of any maternity doctors that hide inside lockers or run across the roof no it's disturbing stuff man <laughs> but if you are a doctor that does that please let me know because it's highly amusing to me <laughs> um yeah no i'm not having that uh, that was that was freaky freaky as i'm just glad that Vara's mother was able to just tell it to leave her alone and that she didn't get the brunt of all of it she was able to be strong about it but um yeah and story number two comes from jennifer During the summer of 1999, I spent a week with my best friend while her mom was out of town on business. We were having a blast being on our own. We spent our days lazing around the house in our PJs and our nights driving around the small town or at home drinking and watching scary movies. Anyways, one night we decided to play the Ouija board. At first it was all good fun. The planchette spelling out answers to random questions and then it took a turn. It started spelling out the name of a guy I had recently broken up with, and words like fire and burning. We started getting freaked out and swore that we could smell smoke from her kitchen. Now, I'm sure it was due to the overall atmosphere of the evening, but we figured that we should check on things in the kitchen anyway. At that moment, her bedroom door slammed shut and the board spelled out, That was me. We were terrified. We said goodbye to the board and booted it downstairs. Everything was fine in our kitchen. There was no smoke. We decided to watch a funny movie and sleep in her living room that night. The next day we heard from a friend who had told us that my ex, the one whose name was being spelled out by the planchette, had been at a house party the night before and he put chicken nuggets in the oven, passed out drunk and the nuggets burned up and smoked out the house so bad that they had to call the fire department. It was the last time I ever played the Ouija board. My husband's experience is way scarier than mine. He was raised in rural Newfoundland by a very religious Pentecostal family. Most of his friends were raised the same way. They even went to a Pentecostal school where the curriculum was based around their beliefs. You can imagine that when they got old enough to rebel and explore, they were very curious about things outside of their family's religious practices. They had a little hangout cabin built in the woods behind their houses and they decided they would make a Ouija board to play with at their cabin. So my husband and his friend went to their cabin one afternoon and broke out this fancy homemade Ouija board. He said that at first they thought it was funny because they blamed each other for making it move. They were just two 14-year-old boys having a laugh. When the atmosphere got heavy, he said it was like they collectively realised that neither of them were moving the planchette and that their board was actually working. This reality freaked them out so much that they threw it away. They tossed it through the trees and vowed never to make another one. They go home, have supper, things are normal. A few days later, my husband and his best friend were playing on a beach, a beach that was nowhere near where they threw the board away and then they saw something floating in the water. It was the Ouija board that they had made. 
His friend grabbed it and they were so afraid of the board at this point that they just ran with it to a cliff and tossed it into the ocean. As his friend was letting the board go, they heard the loudest, most shrill and painful scream that they had ever heard in their lives coming from the board. My husband was so scared that he rarely talks about it. Unless he's drinking. And even then there are parts that he still won't talk about. So needless to say, we do not allow any Ouija in this house. I read tarot, I practice Reiki and I have a strong interest in anything paranormal or supernatural. But I'm not cool with the Ouija board. Well, I hate to say this, but I feel like it is time for another public service announcement. I think in this case it is absolutely warranted. Jennifer has done a wonderful thing here in that she has sent two stories that further my campaign against Ouija boards. I don't care that these things were originally made as a parlor game for a bit of fun. I think this just goes to prove that they do something, don't they? Basically, they do something. We've got a real Ouija board messing around with it, nearly death by chicken nuggets. That's essentially what it is, isn't it? Well, isn't that how everybody wants to go, really? Exactly. And then we've got another one, which is a homemade Ouija board. Just made out of a bit of cardboard. And this one is like a boomerang. You get rid of it, it appears somewhere else. It won't leave you alone until you throw it off a cliff and then it screams at you. I do not feel that these things should be touched, particularly by younger people. You want to use it, think about the consequences, people. This is not a good move. There's t- we get too many stories from people saying that weird stuff happens when you use a Ouija board. So stop. There is one positive to this story, though. Yeah. And that is that it has confirmed my lifelong suspicion that Jumanji was, in fact, a documentary. Because you get rid of <laughs> Jumanji, it finds its way to somebody and hear those little drums. And you go, whoa, what's that noise? And you find a board game. In this case... You throw the thing away, you hear screaming <laughs> and you find yourself a board game that probably has equally destructive consequences. I feel like Jennifer's fella's going to feel very impressed that you've referred to his cardboard Ouija board as a board game. I feel like that's quite an upgrade on what they actually created. Yeah, I'm giving him the benefit of a doubt. Okay. I'm imagining it being something 3D, all sorts of stuff is going on. I'm here for it. It's not just a piece of paper with some numbers and letters written on it. I don't normally do this, but I have to say, I feel like your comedy has taken away from the seriousness, the serious nature of the message that we're trying to get across here. I wasn't trying to be funny. I was being very serious. In that I'm very, Ouija- very serious about Jumanji. And <laughs> that Ouija board should not be touched. Leave them be. Well, but- it's intention, isn't it? I think, I think intention has a lot to do with it. You know, we, we talk a lot about, I mean, in, in modern times, there's a lot of talk about like um, manifestation and positive mental attitude and all of that jazz well maybe it can be negative mental attitude and negative manifestations too in this case the Ouija board but I agree with you in in intentions in general but I don't feel like Jennifer's fellow was intending to (laughs) summon something evil well not even I don't think he was intending to summon something was it? it was just an act of rebellion like which I kind of get but just leave him alone kids it doesn't work It's, it's scary Things happen that you can't explain and they make you feel uncomfortable and you get to adulthood and you can't even talk about them. Just leave them alone. Story number three comes from Lisa. When I was in third grade, we lived in an older house that belonged to my great-grandmother. We lived upstairs and she lived on the lower floor 
I remember several times where my brother and I would be in the living room and hear boxes and things being moved upstairs in the attic when no one was up there. Since it was upstairs, we thought for some reason it was funny. But that was until my brother and I were home alone and when it was time to go to bed. I was little, so I wanted to sleep in my brother's bed because my bedroom was the only one on the other side of the house. We were lying there in the dark and I saw a black shadow near the ceiling. I thought it was all in my head until my brother asked me, Do you see that shadow by the ceiling? My heart dropped and I told him that I did see it. Trying to make me feel better, my brother said, Oh, it's probably just the shadow from something, don't worry. And then he got up and turned the light on and of course it was gone. Needless to say, we left the light on and we went to sleep. A few weeks later, I was sleeping in my bed and I heard someone calling me. I thought maybe it was my stepdad, as it was a low and quiet voice. I got up and walked into the dining room, and stood there in front of me was a tall, black shadow of what looked like a man. I was terrified. As I turned to run to my mother's bed, I heard my name being whispered loudly, calling me to come back. I ran into my mother's room, tears in my eyes, shaking her to wake up so she could go and see what was happening. She sat up and calmed me down and told me it was nothing and to go back to bed. She could see that I was terrified so she let me sleep in her bed. It was never talked about again. But my mother took me to our priest because I started having terrifying and very real nightmares. Part of me wonders if my mother saw something too and wanted to protect me from the evil in our house but didn't want to tell us. My brother and I continued to hear noises coming from the attic. But the tall black shadow never returned. So much to not like about this story. I feel like your gut instinct when you hear stuff in the attic is like, oh, birds, or oh, rats, or oh, possums, or other native rodents creatures. But then there's a limit to how much you can prescribe or ascribe to those creatures because can't really see sparrows moving boxes and that's where this gets me a little bit because the the movement the noises we're hearing is a little bit beyond the bold and the beautiful but again like if if cinderella has told us anything it's that sparrows can do a lot of things when they put their minds together and they work as a team true so I, I, i would like creatures to dress me in the morning that'd be great i hadn't really considered that Mm Hmm. see but I feel like that would be accompanied by some upbeat music and there's no there's no sign of that happening. It's no just, evidence of a nice Disney soundtrack yeah. accompanying the story. <laughs> so it's just boxes being moved, which I can't handle. I don't like attics and basements in general. I realise they're a necessity. Basements are probably worse. But there's all, it's always the sounds. I hated it as a kid. We had birds in the attic and it was definitely birds and 100% saw the nest. Had got rid of them on numerous occasions, but I still didn't like the noise. But my fear was always rats, not paranormal, because I just tended to ignore the paranormal at that age because it freaked me out too much. But it's quite scary when you hear rats or mice or whatever running around in the attic because the sound is amplified. Yeah. And you're like, oh, dear God, what is that? But then you realise the older you get, you're like, oh, it's not, you know, something terrible. It's just a mouse or something. But like, I wonder how many parents there are out there that have to have that conversation with their kids where they're like, don't worry, it's just the wind or don't worry, it's just your imagination while secretly freaking out. 
Oh, probably millions. But thankfully, most of my experience of noises in the attic haven't been accompanied by a black shadow figure on the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> Not what you'd want, really, when you heard noises in the attic. No. No, 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 no. Um, I am sorry, Lisa, that you had to experience that. I hope that you never had to experience it again because black shadow figures standing over your bed at night. In fact, anybody you don't know standing over your bed at night is kind of creepy. Yeah. Don't really want those vibes. And it's worse that she uh, then saw it in the dining room. So it's one thing to see it like on the ceiling at night time where you could say, oh, it was just a shadow that I misinterpreted, whatever. But then little small Lisa went to the dining room and was confronted with yep. this big shadow of a man. And it also rules out sleep paralysis as well, doesn't it? Yes. When you see it somewhere other than when you're in bed. And when it's calling mm, your name. Probably yes. not. Probably not good either, you know? No. We've had that before with shadow people calling mm. somebody's name. I feel like it's, uh, it reminds me of Poltergeist. Like it's like the little girl being called into the television. Yeah. Which I'm a little bit worried about. Because Are these black shadows trying to steal people? And story number four comes from Vanessa. When I was nine years old, my maternal uncle unexpectedly passed away. My mom and I flew to be with our family after we heard the news of my uncle's passing. My aunt and uncle picked us up at the airport, and we headed to their house where we would be staying. Our flight landed at night, so the drive to their house was dark. They live in a rural town about an hour away from the larger city. My uncle drove, my aunt sat in the passenger seat, and my mom and I sat in the back seat. About halfway through the car ride, I noticed a man standing on the side of the road. He was standing right on the edge of the highway along the painted yellow lines. He wore a striped sweater, and I could tell he had a backpack on because he was clutching the strap. As we got closer to him, I was able to see that he had no face. There were no discernible features to his face, but I could still feel him staring at me. He kept staring at us as we drove right past him without dropping his gaze. As my nine-year-old brain was processing what I had seen, my aunt let out a scream and said, That man has no face! She started freaking out immediately. My mom turned back right away but didn't see anything. My uncle also looked in the rearview mirror, but he didn't see anyone either. I told my aunt that I had seen the man too. While scared, it was comforting to know that it wasn't just in my head and that she had also seen him. What was strange is that neither my mom or my uncle saw the man. My mom was sitting behind my aunt, so she should have been able to see him. He was right next to her window when we passed by. A few days later, I told one of my cousins about what we had seen, and she told me that a few people she knows have claimed to have seen this man as well. Apparently, the legend goes that he was run over by a truck and died as a result. Vanessa's story has me... I love it and hate it in equal amounts. I love it because... No, let's start with the hating. I hate it because who wants to see a faceless person by the side of the road? Do you know what this reminded me of? Do you remember I told you, like, I think it was about a year ago about that picture that I came across randomly on the internet. Every so often I end up down rabbit holes of like top 100 scariest pictures ever taken when I'm in search of a story. And this one was of somebody at like a football game and they had taken a picture of the crowd and in the crowd there was two people with no faces. 
Do you remember that, remember that picture? I have seen that well edited photo, yeah. Yes, very well edited, but it's not the point. The picture still freaked yeah, the freaky. living daylights out of me, edited or not. And I found it really alarming. And that's what this reminded me of. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the facelessness makes it terrifying. I think like seeing a hitchhiker on the side of the road. Yeah, I mean, it, it happens. They're not particularly scary unless they're serial killers, but you don't know that until you pick them up. Um, but yeah, the fact... The thing that I liked about this story is the fact that six-year-old Vanessa saw the facelessness, internalized it, wrote it off in her child mind, but then it was confirmed by the adult. The aunt saw it screaming. Then she was able to own up. This this is the kind of corroboration that I live for. You need in your life. I feel like there's so much it's so much more viable as evidence if two people have seen it and they've seen it independently. I agree. I think it is like when you've got two people who haven't had that discussion and then somebody goes, did you just see that man with no face? That is pretty, pretty incredible. Yeah. And it's the age difference as well, because I feel like if uh, Vanessa had seen it and sort of spoken about it, she probably would have been like, you know, you would have had that conversation like, oh, it's just because we're going fast or. Yeah. Or just know, placated. or Yeah. And you just. Yeah. Whereas actually the first person to speak about it was the aunt and it freaked her out. <laughs> I wonder if the aunt hadn't have seen it or hadn't have said anything would Vanessa remember it to this day that is a very good question actually Mm. I feel like she would have because I feel like she got the detail of the hitchhiker down pretty well though yeah that's true like she had she we got a pretty full description apart from the lack of face which would again confirm for me that she genuinely seen something with no face because she remembered all the detail and then specifically remembered and he had no face and the aunt said that man had no face which yes. would be terrifying. Yeah, I'm not I'm not down with that at all. And story number five comes from Jennifer. I'm a registered nurse that works in an intensive care unit at a local trauma centre, and I've always considered myself to be pretty analytical by nature. Despite this, I've also always had a belief in the supernatural. You see, my father was a logical and practical person. After all, he grew up the son of a school teacher and a college professor so he didn't really believe in ghosts. My mother, on the other hand, was quite the opposite. Having been born and raised in Thailand, she grew up with strict Buddhist beliefs, Thai superstitions, as well as local lore and legends. I'm talking about ghosts, demons, giants, and more. Trust me, stories about Thai spirits are pretty terrifying. To her, ghosts were never a thing to be trifled with. Because of being raised by both of my parents... I feel that I have a healthy dose of both practical and superstitious values. But I digress. To be truthful, I've not had many interactions with ghosts, spirits or anything paranormal. Nothing like some of the other stories I've listened to on your podcast. However, I do recall one time that I had a particularly frightening experience. I was in college studying nursing and I'd recently moved into my parents' basement. It was free rent, free food and free internet, so I couldn't complain. Plus, my mom's cooking was to die for. I recall that I was studying for exams late one night, and when I was done, I turned off the light and settled into bed. It was a pretty usual routine at this point, as I'd lived in the basement for months. I don't know what made this night different from others, whether it was the recent passing of my childhood cat or the stressors from an intense nursing programme, but I felt somewhat ill at ease. I was lying for only a moment or two underneath the covers when I felt a small tug at the blankets that lay over me. 
It was a slight pull towards the left corner of my bed, and I ignored it, presuming it to be my still-living cat, who was always by my side and liked to sleep with me. I turned over and proceeded to get some much-needed shut-eye. A few minutes passed in silence, when all of a sudden I felt the blankets ripped off my body and onto the floor below. Freaked out, I flipped on my bedside light and immediately sat straight up with my heart pounding. I frantically scanned the room for an explanation but saw nothing. Adrenaline rushing, I got out of bed and attempted to think logically about what could have happened. I looked around my bed for my cat as I still presumed it was him and I saw no signs of him. There was no cat under my bed. There was no cat around my furniture or in the room for that matter. Terrified, I crawled back into bed and turned on the television. Leaving the TV on as well as my bedside light, I attempted to go back to sleep. For many nights afterwards, the television and the light were always left on at bedtime. To this day, I don't know why or how the blankets flew off my bed. I thought perhaps that maybe I had left my textbooks on my bed and as they fell, they pulled the blankets with them but I remembered I'd put the textbooks on the floor before sleep. And if they were to have fallen, there would have been a loud, audible thud as they hit the concrete flooring. Really, those medical surgical textbooks are massive. Since it was the basement, there weren't any drafts of air or current that would blow the blankets off my bed. Plus, with how thick the covers were, you would have needed a massive gust of wind to accomplish whatever this thing did. Luckily for me, this was a one-time occurrence that had never happened to me again, so far, but it did leave me wondering what happened. As of late, I had a new, equally terrifying experience. I had long since moved out of my parents' home and into an apartment of my own, a half-double house where I lived on one side and my landlord lived on the other. Recently, my landlord passed away next door after what we presumed to be a heart attack, which was a shame because I really liked her. What sort of creeps me out a little bit was that her bedroom was on the other side of the wall of my bedroom, and having to work the night shift I pretty much slept while she was having a massive cardiovascular event next door. Her poor teenage daughter found her beside her bed on the ground after coming home from school. This was a couple of months ago back in December. Anyway, since I've not been able to go to the gym, I was in the basement lifting weights, listening to the podcast. When I was done, I walked up the stairs, shut off the light and began to close the door when I felt the handle rip out of my hand and the door swing wide open. I paused, not fully comprehending what had just happened. I turned and stared back into the darkness of the cellar and my heart began to race. Straight away, I flipped on the light switch and examined the door. Logic tried to grapple with my fear-rattled brain for any reason as to why the door would refuse to close. I was scolding myself thinking I was just freaking myself out after listening to the podcast and once more I attempted to close the door and yet again the door was ripped open out of my hand by an unseen force. I examined the exposed hinges to see if there was anything blocking them to keep the door from shutting. Nothing and at this point panic was starting to set in and fear was beginning to rise. For whatever reason I thought it may be my deceased landlord Why would she want to keep the door open? I didn't know. Perhaps it was to give me my own myocardial episode for not helping her, which in hindsight is completely ridiculous as she was a very kind lady who wouldn't want to harm anyone. I tried to shut the door a third time, this time slowly. 
I felt resistance as if whatever it was, whether it was my landlord, a demon or something else entirely, did not want me to close the threshold. I looked towards the hinges on the other side of the door, my hand still on the doorknob. And there between the cracks I saw it. Staring back at me with its evil, mocking, slender frame was the mop handle. What a wonderful juxtaposition of stories Jennifer has provided for us here. (laughs) That story had me, the second one had me so gripped when I was putting together this episode and I was reading it going, oh my God, what was in the crack in the door? And And then I was really like tensely waiting and then I actually genuinely laughed out loud when she got to the to the fact that it was a mop. I mean, there is a sense of relief when you realise it's the mop is, is one thing, but I feel, also feel like there might have been an element of frustration because I feel like she really investigated it. Like she really looked at loads of different options until she found the mop. <laughs> it must have been frustrating. It also makes me feel slightly more comfortable about the first story because it kind of is the last thing I heard, so I'm already in a bit more of a jovial mood. Yeah. We've all had experiences of blankets being tugged like i've shared mine and sometimes we can put that down to falling asleep the the body jolt that you get sometimes when you drop off to sleep having your blankets tugged off of you completely there's a very different feeling very different very scary very paranormal activity very annoying i would imagine too if you had to experience it in real life super annoying but i just the thing that got me about this story is that like being someone that regularly experiences the blankets being taken off them against their will at night (gasps) by who (laughs) tiny bim um (laughs) i there's an element of quick reaction where you can actually grab it back like you have to be you very rarely not you, because obviously that's casting aspersions, but Tiny Bim's never is able to do it quick enough for me to completely lose control of it. Whereas for Jennifer, it flew off. Yeah, so that must have been going scary. at quite, that's quite a powerful removal of a blanket. And now that's creeping. I think the second story just reminds, I think all of us really, how quickly our minds jump to a thousand different conclusions that are nowhere near what the right conclusion is. I mean, we had it recently. I had a mysterious glass of water appear, freaked out, couldn't figure out where it came from. And then had just had forgotten that I had gone to the kitchen because while I went to the kitchen, I was doing something else. So I, uh, yeah, there was about a five minute period where I was like, oh my God, we've got a, a, a ghost that apparates glasses of water. Mm. That ghost being me. Yeah. And yep. my forgetfulness. Yep. But it's the close on the chair thing again, isn't it? It's that... Yeah, three o'clock in the morning, close on the chair. Oh, shit, there's a man in my room. Yep. And uh, it's an easy enough thing to, to think, but to have it removed from you, not the clothes on the chair, but the bed, blank, the bed clothes, then that is pretty unarguable, really. And intense. Not really something Breeze does either, is it? No, not, not in like... You're not sleeping outdoors or you're not at the top of like... <laughs> hanging from the top of a building while you're sleeping like the breeze is not going to rip your covers off no in they, a household they wouldn't be that they wouldn't be very good covers if they were the, if they were that light that they could be <laughs> taken off you by, by a, a slight breeze slight breeze so yeah I'm, I'm baffled by this one and I'm, I'm glad you've only experienced it once i probably would get really irritating if you'd experienced it more than once and story number six today comes from shane From what I've been told, my granddad was an atypical Dublin owl fella. 
He made jokes all the time, loved playing pranks on my mom and her sisters, forever annoying my grandmother and loved a laugh. He was really handy as well. He was a painter and decorator and also did a lot of work in their home going as far as to build an extension by himself. Unfortunately, he passed away from cancer, despite living quite a healthy lifestyle, and he never smoked or drank. We were living in our old house in County Meath when my granddad passed away. He was always there to lend a hand when anything needed to be done. He helped my dad paint our old house and do some decorating work. Not long after he passed away, my parents remember walking into the house and smelling a very distinct smell which my parents knew as being my granddad's aftershave. They couldn't really explain it and brushed it off. My grandmother distinctly remembers one night she went out to bingo with her friends during the winter just before Christmas. When she arrived home she realised that she had forgotten to put on the heating as the whole house was icy cold. However, when she turned the heating on and went into her small sitting room, that one was already really warm. And the seats her and my granddad used to sit on were also warm to the touch. She still can't explain it, but she likes to believe it was my granddad's way of looking after her to make sure she stayed warm. Before we moved into the house that we currently live in, we moved in with my grandmother for a few months while my parents waited for the sale of the house to go through. I was around two at this time, and my sister would have been around six. For this story, it's worth mentioning that my granddad had made a full-size pool table from scratch, and it's still to this day in my grandmother's attic. So my parents had put my sister and I to bed when they heard somebody walking down the stairs. Thinking it was me or my sister, my dad jumped up to see nobody there, and when he checked on us, we were both fast asleep in bed. Fast forward a few days, once again we were asleep, and my parents heard the distinct sound of the pool balls hitting each other and rolling on the wooden table. Once again, my parents thought it was me or my sister messing, and when they went to check, we were both asleep. But the pool table had been set up for a game. Since then, there hasn't been any more incidents, but we all believe it was my granddad who was just trying to make it known that he was still around checking up on everybody, and maybe trying to get a sneaky game of pool in. I think that Shane's granddad sounds like a complete dude. I'm going to do a bit of a translation for... I mean, I'm sure people can figure it out. I'm not trying to be patronising. But Owlfella is... uh, So Irish people, lots of Irish people would refer to their dad as their Owlfella. Regardless of how old he is. He could be 40 or he could be 400 years old. It's irrelevant. You're still an Owlfella. So once you get to a certain age, you're an Owlfella. And uh, yeah, an Owlfella is just a way to describe... And a and a, just a typical older man, basically. Did you realise how how much you said old fella then? Old fella, it was full short space of time. I think these are the kind of ghosts that are much more manageable. You know, like Shane's granddad is doing things that just are nice and pleasant. You know, he's warming up the sitting room for his wife, making sure she's warm when she's forgot to put the heating on. That is lovely. Like as creepy as you it, as it would feel, actually, it's quite heartwarming. Even I would probably be able to deal with that. Similarly, just wanting to play a game of pool on the pool table that you crafted yourself. I get those vibes. Yeah. Because imagine how proud he was crafting that pool table. And then you're not going to let death stand in the way of being proud of that and still playing pool. No way. Nope. And this sort of evidence of ghosts playing pool 
that Shane has provided has helped me because I, I presume now that every time I miss a shot in pool is actually just because a ghost is playing at the same time. So it's actually got nothing to do with the fact that I'm having a bad game. It's pretty much ghosts. So I can just blame it on ghosts from now on, right? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. So if you enjoyed this week's episode, you can find more about us on reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. You can submit your own spooky story to Podcast at gmail.com and you can also donate to Ulemu by using the link in the description for this episode. The winners of the merch will be announced on the episode on the 21st of March. And on that note, we shall see you next week. Bye!